The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, August 27, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So I wonder if one of them was named Al. Jesus had this question for his disciples. He wanted to know what people were saying about him. And the disciples had an answer. They were able to tell him various opinions that various people had. I wonder if one of them was named Al. And the reason I wonder that is because of a book that I read a while back, a book entitled American Grace. In that book, the author's seek to analyze the state of religion and spirituality in America, and specifically they seek to ask the question, how is it possible for so many people to more or less get along with one another when America is a place where people's religious beliefs are very devout, but also very diverse? In our country, people tend to believe things very sincerely, and to also be surrounded by people who believe things that are very different. And at least according to the authors, the way that that all works out is because of what they refer to as the my friend Al principle. In other words, as people evaluate various religious ideas, they tend not to think about them only in the abstract, where it would be very easy to mischaracterize and perhaps even demonize people who believe things differently from you. Instead, people tend to think of those questions in terms of the very real, very normal, very nice, very kind people that they actually know who hold those beliefs. In other words, everyone has a a my friend Al. And because of that principle, what they notice is, is that people tend to sort of soften their beliefs a little bit. They become much more open to beliefs that are different from their own, and so as a result, everybody is able to play nice and get along. Oh, but not quite everyone. There is a small segment of the population that the authors of that book labeled true believers. These are people who are convinced that their religious beliefs are absolutely correct, which means that other religious beliefs are wrong. And if it really is the case that that softening our beliefs is the thing that helps us get along with other people, it's no surprise that the authors of the book concluded that true believers are Americans' worst fear in terms of being able to live together and get along. So what do you think? We're right in the middle of this worship series that's entitled The Kind of Church Jesus Wants. And today, specifically, we are seeing how Jesus wants a church that confesses confidently. Just based on that short little phrase, it sure seems as though Jesus actually wants a church full of true believers, people who are convinced that what they believe about Jesus is true and want to share that belief with others. And yet, as we look at that description of Jesus' church today, we are also going to see Jesus' own assessment of it. We're going to see whether it is, in fact, a case, the case that true believers are a danger or a fear 
to civil society. As we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 16 this morning, we're going to ask this question. Is a church full of true believers the world's worst fear or its best friend? I would imagine none of the people in question were named Al, but when Jesus asked his disciples what other people were saying about him, they had an answer. And it's worth noting that all of the answers that the disciples brought back were more or less relatively positive. Some people believed that Jesus was sort of like a, a prophet, a great moral teacher, a person who spoke with clarity and conviction about God and was crystal clear about the difference between right and wrong. Other people believed that Jesus was more of a, a social reformer type, the kind of person who's not afraid to speak truth to power and turn the status quo upside down. Now, to some degree, each of those things is true about Jesus, but it is also true that Jesus is much more than that. And so Jesus wasn't satisfied with any of those answers, and so he asked his disciples, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And in response, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, Peter was saying that Jesus was not just one of many men who were sent by God and who spoke for God. Jesus was not just someone who was willing to upset the powers that be. Jesus had a power all his own. He was the Son of the living God. And in response to Peter's answer, Jesus doesn't say that all of those different responses are all equally good. No, instead he singles out and he praises just one. All the other answers were incomplete. Peter's answer was correct. And yet Jesus says much more than that. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Yes, Peter's answer was absolutely correct. Jesus was the Son of the living God and the promised Messiah. And yet that was not something Peter had discovered for himself, which means that that was not something for which Peter could take the credit. Yes, Peter's answer was absolutely right, but it was also an answer that had been revealed to him. So what about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? I would not hesitate for a second to say that the kind of church Jesus wants is a church full of people who know the correct answer to that question. Not a church that says that all opinions about Jesus that exist in the world are equally valid, but instead a church that says with Peter, Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the Son of the living God. But what Jesus also teaches us is that if that is the case, that doesn't so much say something about you as much as it says something about God. Arriving at the correct answer of who Jesus is is not the kind of thing where you formulate the opinion for yourself. It's not the kind of thing where you do your own research, where you maybe read a bunch of books and you talk to a bunch of experts and then at the conclusion of soaking in all of that information, you formulate exactly the correct answer. It's also not the kind of thing where if someone else has a different answer, an incomplete answer or an incorrect answer, 
answer. It somehow indicates that you must be so much smarter than them because they can't figure it out. Yes, Jesus is the promised Messiah and the Son of the living God. But knowing that and believing that is not the kind of thing for which we can take credit. Yes, it is absolutely right, but it also needs to be revealed to us. And so if that is the case, let me ask, is a church full of true believers the world's worst fear or the world's best friend? Jesus had something else that he wanted to say in response to Peter's answer. You see, Peter had said something that was true about Jesus, and so Jesus responded by saying something that was true about Peter. Jesus said this, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So at first, Jesus had referred to this disciple of his by his given name, Simon. The name his mom and dad had given him at birth. But then Jesus referred to him by this other name that he had, this name that had special significance, this name, Peter, that meant rock. And so Jesus was saying to Peter, yes, your answer is absolutely right, but giving that answer makes you rock solid. And not just you, Peter, as an individual, but on that very same thing that you just said, that very same truth about who Jesus is, Jesus said, I am going to build my entire church. And a church that is built on that rock-solid foundation will be so strong and so indestructible that not even the gates of Hades, not even death itself, will be able to tear it down. What Jesus' teaching means is that those who know the truth about Jesus have something very rock-solid in their life. It means that if someone builds their life on anything other than Jesus or on an incorrect or incomplete view of Jesus, it means that that entire life is nothing more than a house of cards. If we decide we are going to build our life on our career, or on our educational accomplishments. If we decide we are going to build our life on the friends who make us feel as though we belong or the family members that we love so dearly. If we decide that we are going to build our life on this idea that Jesus is nothing more than a moral teacher who can help us all act in just the right way or nothing more than a social reformer who can make our world a much better place if we are building our life on any of those things, that life is destined to come crashing to the ground. The second death comes knocking on the door, that building will crumble, if not much sooner. But what that also means is if we do in fact build our life on Jesus, we will build a life that is indestructible, a life that nothing, not even death itself, can possibly bring down. And so this also means that in a world where people are constantly pulling themselves out of the rubble of their shattered dreams and their paralyzing grief, they will see people who have built their lives on Jesus. They will see people who have all the very same things happen to them, but whose lives are indestructible. So if that is the case, let me ask, 
is a church full of true believers, the world's worst fear, or the world's best friend. It's kind of interesting to read through some of the other characteristics that were found in that book that described this segment of the population described as true believers. They found that true believers are much more likely to go to church every single week. True believers are much more likely to see their religious faith as an important part of of who they are. True believers are much more likely to take the Bible at face value and believe that there is a universal standard of right and wrong. And so if that is what a true believer really is, I would not hesitate to say that Jesus would love for Good News Lutheran Church to be a church that is full of true believers. But unfortunately, they found some other characteristics of true believers as well. True believers are much more likely to view with suspicion those who have beliefs different from theirs, much more likely to feel threatened or perhaps even under attack if they are surrounded by different beliefs. True believers are much more likely to say that ideas that they do not agree with should somehow be banned or prohibited in public life. Perhaps, worst of all, true believers are much more likely to surround themselves only with people who believe exactly as they do. In other words, true believers are much less likely to have a my friend Al. And so let me ask, based on that definition, are true believers our world's worst fear or its best friend? Actually, let me ask it a little bit differently. As you think about your life, do you think that you have been the world's worst fear or the world's best friend? When you encounter a belief about God that is different from your own, is it easy for you to get a little bit prickly? Is it easy for you to lose your patience and get a little bit irritated as if this other person clearly can't be as smart and sophisticated as you and why can't they just see the light? when you're encountered and surrounded by beliefs that are different from your own, perhaps even when your beliefs become unpopular and maybe even viewed in a very unpositive sort of way, do you find yourself getting a little bit fragile? Do you have the sense as though something about you is is in danger or under attack? Do you join right in with the rest of our world where outrage and offense are just constantly in the air and where airing all of our grievances seems to be a national pastime. Once you've had enough of being surrounded by people who view life differently and believe differently, do you find yourself setting up your own little echo chamber where you only have to talk to and engage with people who think exactly the same way that you do? To whatever extent that is the case, and I'm guessing all of us need to admit that to some extent it has been the case, the solution for us is not to become less of a true believer. But at the very same time, the solution is also not for us to become an even truer believer. In fact, we should probably reframe the question entirely. That phrase, true believer, gives the impression that what is most important about our faith is what's going on inside of us, 
our sincerity, our intensity with which we believe the things we do as if that is what makes them strong. And yet everything that Jesus highlights, everything that Jesus praises about Peter's faith is just the opposite. It's not something inside of Peter, but instead something completely outside of Peter. Yes, it is correct to say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but that truth about Jesus has to be revealed to us. We haven't discovered it for ourselves, which means that it is absolutely not a reason for us to be arrogant about ourselves or condescending toward others. Instead, we can hold on to that faith with conviction, but also with immense gratitude and humility. Yes, our faith in Jesus means that we are building for ourselves a life that is completely indestructible. But that is not because we have been doing our squats and the leg muscles of our faith are just so strong that they will never fall. No, it's because those legs are standing on rock-solid ground. Everything that is important about our faith is not what's going on inside of us, but what Jesus did outside of us and for us. Jesus lived perfectly for you. Jesus died willingly for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus rose from the grave to shatter the prison bars of death for you. And in the case of each of those things, they are not true or not true. They don't become more or less real based on how sincerely or how firmly you believe them. They just are. Which means that we are not so much a church of true believers as Jesus wants us to be a church of Christ confessors. And that makes all the difference in the world in terms of what you have to offer to the people around you. Perhaps you've had the experience where you are swimming in a pool with some younger children, maybe children of your own, and they get caught up in this game where they want to climb on your back and they want to stand on your shoulders and they want you to launch them way up into the air and maybe even now and then they need a little bit of help just staying above water. And of course you can do that for them very, very easily and it's all good fun. But perhaps you've also had it happen where those same children are trying to climb on your back or stand on your shoulders and maybe they need a little bit of help just to stay above water and suddenly it's not all good fun. Instead, you instinctively view them as a threat. Maybe your first reflex is to actually push them away. Maybe you even scold them a little bit for what they have done. So what makes the difference? Well, the difference all depends on whether you are standing on solid ground in the shallow end of the pool, or if you are also swimming in the deep end of the pool with nothing beneath your feet. Friends, if you and I are nothing more than true believers, we are swimming in the middle of the ocean. Nothing beneath our feet that is connected to rock-solid reality, left instead only with what is going on inside of our hearts. But instead, Jesus wants us to be Christ confessors. And Christ confessors 
are the best friends for all of the people who might be swimming around us. So let me ask, would you have been willing, would you have been able to answer the question? If Jesus had asked you, what are the people in your life saying about me? Could you have given him an answer? Are you interacting with people who may not belong to the already existing group of Jesus followers? Are you finding out what they think about Jesus? I'm guessing none of them will be named Al, and that's okay. But the kind of church that Jesus wants is a church where people have the answer to that question. Because all around us, people are drowning. All around us, people are building lives that turn out to come crashing down to the ground. And for people like that, when they meet a Christ confessor, even if they don't realize it, they're meeting their new best friend. Amen.